0: You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdTonowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetralt-Blay. welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Once Upon a Turnbuckle. And something I would say a little bit different, really, but I suppose different to what I've been doing for a while. But almost going right back to the beginning of when I started this podcast. This is uh, it's just going to be a solo episode, I'm afraid. So anyone who um, who doesn't really like listening to me, feel free to tune out now. <laughs> but um, um, it's it's um it's funny really because i when i started the podcast off i only had the i i i had the vision that it was going to be largely a solo one just really me talking about my own memories and uh um my favorite moments and that and it's it kind of morphed into something a lot bigger when i i started getting the opportunity to talk to people in the industry and you know going back and seeing some of the guys that i've ended up talking to um in the last sort of 30 episodes um still amazes me and I'm so so grateful to everyone who's been a part of Once Upon a Turnbuckle but I was kind of propelled to do this episode this is one that I've wanted to do for a little while um, it kind of seemed right that I would do it as a solo one now I, I, I don't know why, this could have been a topic that I discussed quite happily with, with others especially some of the guys that I've already collaborated with so far but it also fits that this is, this is a topic that I've only recently come to realise it was such an importance to me in um in the in the world of wrestling, especially my sort of fascination with it and uh it's been one that i i was gonna way way back sort of we're going back probably to, to 2016, two thousand sixteen seventeen when I first coined the i first come up with the idea of anything called once upon the turnbuckle it was actually gonna be a blog site and one of the uh, one of the first blog posts and, and subjects that I was going to go into is what I'm going to cover today, and I guess it's it's lately talking to some of the guys that I've been speaking to and coming to the realization that there was one aspect of wrestling which stands out even today, um, stands out as one of the most important parts for me. Um, and it was something that I I I wasn't really aware of until I think I I can't remember who I said it to now, but sort of thinking back to how I used to enjoy wrestling when I was growing up. Um, yeah, I mean I'd spend hours and I'd sit there and I'd I'd watch my you know VHSs and you know I would uh, you know all all day long if I could. But when I was kind of in my happy place was when I was. Um, probably on my bed I'd got my, my wrestling figures in front of me I was acting out whatever event it was I was holding that day but whatever I was doing even if I was just flicking through the pages of the magazines and everything I had wrestling on in the background and I probably spent 60% of the time maybe if not more of the time that I spent with wrestling when I was growing up I was listening to it rather than watching it and I think that's why even today when I when I put on some of the events that I love from that era, I can do something else and I can still get that experience. I don't have to be fixed on the screen. You know, the, the action in the ring was only a small part of it for me. And what I'm referring to as being the the, the biggest draw for me, even today, um, is it, it are the talkers. So this episode is really me. I will, I've decided to kind of narrow it down to my, my best my top five and, and just to kind of clarify what it is I mean I, I I mean the guys who I absolutely love listening to whether it's promos or anything they did so taking away what they were doing in the ring for a second it was what they were doing on the microphone um, and these are the guys that are more mem- most memorable to me for various reasons which I'll go into as I go along go through the list um, but it really it took me back when I started thinking about this it took me back to I started to realise just how how much I admired and how much I wanted to be like a lot of these guys based on what they were saying how they were saying it in what context what the feel was what the the reason was um, more than sort of physically being Them in the ring, you know, doing what they were doing—that that that, you know—that was part of the dream, I suppose, when I was growing up. You know, wanting to be like Shawn Michaels, for example, and having that WrestleMania twelve boyhood dream moment. But when I think back of who I wanted to emulate, it really came down to who was the coolest when they were talking. You know, uh, for whatever reason, that's why I decided to to finally do this. It's really because I've I've been delving into one of the benefits I suppose of of not having a a full WWE Network subscription at the moment is that they they do give away certain shows certain events um, certain themes per month depending on what their big event is that they're promoting so for instance lately they in the build up to the NXT in your house they were giving away what they classed as every in your house for free um, turned out actually it was only select selects so, so like sort a of portion of the in your house history that was actually free for those who don't have a paid subscription but luckily for me it was it, it was the ones that i enjoyed the most right at the beginning so you know the 95 96 ones that that you could still access um but then it got down to the in your house one um that sort of passed so the the theme at the moment is hell in a cell and I've never watched one of the Hell in the Cell pay-per-views before obviously, like I've said before I did stop watching it actively and regularly back in about 2000, 2001 so I knew of the Hell in the Cell concept from when it was born in 98 in the Attitude era that I grew up with but when it got to a pay-per-view I mean, yeah, I kept up with the wrestling scene enough to know they were doing it but it never excited me to know that they were watering down that concept. Anyway, not what we're here to talk about. The re- the reason why I was propelled to pick up the microphone, as it were, and and do this episode was because something struck me. I was watching other the only one that I picked out that I've I've watched through at the minute, and I, I probably won't be won't be worried about going through anymore. I started at the beginning. I think it was a two thousand and eight Hell in the Cell. Starts off the card itself is strong, starts off with Undertaker and CM Punk, you've got Legacy against DX, you know it's it's, it's great on paper but I i I, because I wanted to get through it I, I've been having it playing in the background while I've been working a lot like what I used to do when I was back at home, when I was you know, acting out my own events with my figures or reading magazines, whatever it was I had wrestling on in the background this is just seems to be part of the way that i enjoy it the most and i i don't really i don't think i took in anything that was going on and it dawned on me during that the commentary during that era and probably even up to still you know current times compared to what i grew up with there is nothing i i think audibly about wrestling that drew me in particularly that event the even though you've got people like you know Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, fair enough, they weren't working together. They were on separate commentary teams at this point. But there was no energy. There was almost no spontaneity. It sounded like... I likened it back to when I used to play the video games. Um, take, for example, I think it was Warzone um, for the N64 that I had back then. That was the first one that included any kind of... First one that I had, anyway, that had any kind of commentary... Sort of overlay in, in the matches, and they were just if there was the same phrases, and it was very stunted, it, they came up at certain points when you perform certain moves, or if there was some quiet bit in the, the match you were playing, and it was like that. It just felt like these guys, all of them, had lines they had to say, and they were just waiting for the moment they had to say them it sounded so rehearsed so flat and I think you like I say splitting up people like Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler who were so good together I mean they will if you go back to the to the Attitude Era and think again audibly what do you remember apart from promos from like Austin and The Rock and that you've got to reference JR and Jerry Lawler as the commentary team that sort of held it all together they were brilliant together but there's just nothing and this was 2008 this you know 13 years ago i'm not even going to reference it now mainly because i don't really know who does it now but there's surely based on that based what i on what i have heard of the more current stuff there is just not that that doesn't exist anymore the the excitement that it it was really this also became a little more evident when um today for example i, I it was a great day for me i, I always got a love a post day I, as soon as I saw a couple of weeks ago that there is a, a DVD box set that uh, WWE has brought out called Unreleased. I know they've done a few of them, but the one that I was particularly interested in is the one with the Unreleased matches, never-before-seen never, never before seen matches from 86 to 95, couldn't be a more perfect DVD box set for me right now. So I, I had to patiently wait until I'd been paid, which I was the other day, I ordered it last night, it came this morning sat down to watch I'm probably halfway through the first disc um, which is sort of 86 up to 88 so far and obviously because they're unreleased matches they, they haven't taped any commentary so you're just at the moment anyway getting just the matches which is awesome in one way because they're the they're the stars on there that I grew up watching you know I'm taking it right back to the era that I started watching it as well so it's it's great from that perspective but if I was to be doing anything else alongside if I if I was doing you know reading something or working or whatever it still wouldn't mean anything because there's no sound to it there's no commentary there's nothing until you get the announcement at the end of who's won or whatever so it just further cements to me how important it is and i'm not just going to cover commentators in this these are the guys in the ring that i was particularly drawn to for whatever reason which I again i'll cover some of the reasons but the the guys could really they drew me in when they talked when when whenever they spoke whatever they had to say however they said it um i would stop and listen but it was also even if i was doing something else it would stick with me what these guys were saying so i think really to circle back to the point i was i was making at the beginning you know this has come forward only recently you know i made the realization that what i really loved about wrestling taking away you know the in-ring action the characters and that the thing that still rides with me today is the sound what these guys were like back then compared to now particularly i feel more validated in my my views now for an old school wrestling fan knowing that you know from the era that i missed this whole sort of chemistry this 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 art form um of of talking in wrestling really doesn't exist as much anymore, so so sort of without further ado let's uh, sort of kick into my list and sort of uh, i'll rattle off the 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 top five talkers that i even today i will drop everything to listen to so just as a bit of a disclaimer really before I start off um rather than and, uh, for you to realize this come the end when i've talked about my five i will say straight off you will not find hulk hogan in this list um i yes he was memorable in certain ways for his energy passion and all that you know that he gives in his promos even even up to today um wasn't one of my favorites at all i actually Given the chance, most of, given the choice, most of the time, I would probably fast forward through his promos. They were long, some of them pretty much nonsensical. It's just, I don't know, there was just something about it I, I didn't buy, I, I didn't get excited by them at all. So, you will not find Hulk Hogan in this list. You will also not find Steve Austin. Now, it's probably a bit early for me to say that if you if you're not interested anymore it's probably the point for you to turn off um, I hope you don't because I'm hoping the ones I talk about I mean it's just a glimpse into what I um, it's just my memories what i taken away from a childhood of being a massive wrestling fan your views might be completely different um, Steve Austin he his promos were great I think, unfortunately, in that era, you really just had to, you know, the more offensive you were, probably the more, it helped you become more memorable as well, because it was shocking, especially he was the first one to start swearing and flipping fingers and everything like that back then, it was shocking, and he was the guy that that sort of brought that through into the mainstream, Um, come the Attitude Era, sort of everyone was doing something like that, especially when DX came along, and you know, so yeah, I I really, lo- I love listening to, to Austin's promos um, but he didn't make my top five, simple as um, and one other notable mention off of here is, although you, anyone who listens to this podcast regularly will know that I am a massive and I grew up as a massive Bret Hart fan Bret isn't in my top five, again I've even referenced a couple of his promos in particular that I, I love and I would I hunt out whenever I can, you know, whenever I can find them, I will go back and listen to him. In particular, one from SummerSlam ninety four. Um, he wasn't the most natural at promos. Um it made his more believable, I suppose, because he you know, it was real he didn't have a character in his promos, it was it was really just him. But I think he just didn't quite have the gift that the five had that I am gonna talk about. So with that out of the way Let's have a look then. Let's just kick it off um, with my number five. I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in the back. I hate this idea that you're the best, because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am, and that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser yeah, it might be a a bit of a a bit of an odd one for me to have and I think it's not based on his ability his vocal ability, it was the fact the reason I put him at number 5 is the fact that if you take what, why the the reason why I, I made this podcast and the era that I I go back to and that I talk about, CM Punk should not be on this list um because he is a guy that came along well after I stopped watching it regularly Um, and it wasn't until 2012 I think that I really became aware of how good a talker he was so we're talking about 11-12 years after I really stopped watching it Um, so I mean for him to be on my list I mean this is just a reflection of firstly how good I think he is how much I love listening to him and the fact that he's a guy that I'm I'm still not very familiar with a lot of what he's done in the ring um, I've gone back, I've watched some of his matches I'm not one who's going to go back and watch every single event he's been on in WWE um, because it's really, I would stop and watch him and listen to him talking um, it, it's not his in ring stuff that's really drawn me to him but the fact that he is one guy that I will always go back to and hunt out promos for, it's just testament for how good I think he is so CM Punk is number 5 on my list, the The first thing you know, yeah, it's, it's probably um, predictable but the first thing that I became aware of for CM Punk is when he did his infamous pipe bomb promo on Monday Night Raw um, a couple of weeks before the Money in the Bank Event and I believe it's two thousand twelve. I wasn't even watching it this time, but I was working with a guy who who was watching it every week. He was he was quite a bit younger than me. He was very much. He grew up watching. I think the ruthless aggression era. So he was. He was very where I was in the mid nineties. He was sort of around two thousand ten, two thousand twelve. And he told me about it, and I happened to have. I remember at the time I had. A, I think a month or three month or something. Um, free trial for Sky Sports, um, sort of a gift from Sky. You know, I didn't have the sports package, but they gave it for, us, you know, gave it to us for a few months for free. So it was around this time. So I was actually able to go back and watch um, a little bit of the Raws after this. Um, but yeah, it was it was my my work colleague who who came in one day and he said, you you've got to check out what happened on Raw this week and he told me about the promo and i think he got it up on youtube by that point and i was blown away because even in my sort of post K Fabe state of mind you know i obviously it became a lot more obvious um that yeah wrestling was scripted and things like that it, it, i was aware of that back in you know my day anyway but this made me question like i did with a lot of people at the time. Is this real? You know, did he literally just he, he did Vince give him the opportunity to have five or ten minutes on the mic, not knowing what he's going to say, and CM Punk t- took it. You know, took it full advantage of it. Um, it's his delivery and stuff like that because he doesn't hide behind a gimmick. What he's saying is so real, but so poetic. It's his delivery. It's the way he says stuff. It's what he says he is very deadpan at times, he's very dry, he's very much a British kind of sense of humour in a way um, but yeah, I mean I, I it took a couple of years then really for me to again come back around and, and find out more because I was reminded of that promo and then I think I, I watched the actual sort of intro promo video to the, uh, the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, so dramatic and it's, the main overlay of it is CM Punk's um, promos that were leading up on the Raw's uh, and from his pipe bomb one then over the next couple of weeks when he had his contract negotiation with Vince and things like that you know I I went and I saved the audio for those for you know the, the two stints he had on the fo- on two weeks later after the pipe bomb incident when he was in the ring at the beginning of Raw talking about his, he was going to have a contract negotiation in the ring with Vince and then his whole contract negotiation with Vince McMahon in the ring later that night his exchanges with John Cena and the uh, when they were then building up to their SummerSlam match later that year, his sort of scathing comments and promos he did against Kevin Nash and Triple H. So basically, it really was 2012 CM Punk. Um, I absolutely love, and I would watch any of that and listen to any of that again. I think he... It was a shame in a way that his his he's severed ties with WWE or seemingly because i think the wrestling world really could benefit from cm punk being part of it these days um but yeah yeah i don't I think particularly in the the last sort of 20 years or so again i i don't know because i've not gone and i've not listened and watched everyone who's come through mainly because i haven't had the interest in it but for one guy to still even though i'm not watching it for one guy to still pull me in in some way, um, I don't think there's a talker like CM Punk. Um, certainly, since I stopped watching, sort of, you know, like I say, last twenty years or so for me, he is he is the best one. So CM Punk number five. And as we move back up, so number four. This was uh, yeah, I could have had both of these guys on, I suppose. When you think of the Attitude Era. Um, that's when it, 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 everyone I think really um, really shone in their promos um, you know guys like I mean The Undertaker was always great whatever whatever he was doing but I think even he sort of started to have some of his best vocal work around that time you know Triple H and you see all these guys elevate and there's two guys that really led the attitude era i think for it, if you talk to anyone and that is the rock and steve austin and i've already said that steve austin is not on my list and the reasons why so number four for me would be the so-called people's champion the most elect- electrifying man in sports entertainment so to speak the rock finally the rock has come back to new jersey Just as sure as for the very first time, Kevin Kelly, The Rock stood right in this arena and called you an ugly hermaphrodite. It's as sure as this Sunday night at Armageddon, The Rock will be in hell in a cell. This is gonna be the most brutal match The Rock has ever been in. The dangerousest match The Rock has ever been in, the hell in a cell. And it doesn't matter, Kevin Kelly, what you call it. Whether it's called a hell in a cell, a rage in a cage, penis in Uranus. the only thing that matters. Is that the Rock is going in this Sunday night to do exactly what he does best—lay it, the smack it down, and get back the Rock's WWE title. So, for me, I, I, I probably wasn't so much of a fan of his of his in-ring work around then. Um, I've never been a massive Mark for Steve Austin or the Rock, but I know I can appreciate what they did for the industry at that time. I mean they really were part of the reason why um, WWF took over the Monday Night Wars from WCW, in my opinion. But I think what it was with The Rock is whereas Austin, you knew if he got the mic, he was going to be shocking. It was going to be funny. He was going to be brutal. But it was going to be, you know, it's going to be pretty much the same. With The Rock, you never really knew. And I think as I watched him Because when he came into the WWF, obviously I I remember his debut. Didn't really know a lot about him before he went in there from like USWA and and that kind of thing. But seeing him go from that sort of real, you know, blue chip, a baby face. And then you see him in 97 start to become more cocky, More the fans turned on him, but he embraced that. And then you saw the birth of The Rock. And he started to really shine through when he was in the Nation of Domination. He started to become the one who... You're always looking past the others to him to wait for him to speak because he he had that that arrogance, that character. And I think what you'll probably find on this, this list as I rattle through him is it's heel promos that really sit with me because you've almost got more freedom I think you've not got to go out there and and try to still win the fans over and that Steve Austin probably was one of the first maybe the only ones who could go out there still be a babyface after trashing someone the way he did but The Rock he for me at the two of them between Austin and The Rock The Rock was just more inventive he was it was more fresh more different more entertaining um and again I, I, I'm not saying I've seen every single rock promo I can't have because I did miss quite a chunk of his career watching it anyway and I'm not gonna go back and dig through it all. But the what I have seen and what I remember from the days, I mean the guy just I mean, look at him now. Um he's probably the only one I think that is out of the rest of the world which is worthy enough to have had the Hollywood career that he's got and part of it is is this persona that he he started honing with his his vocal delivery in the, the WWF back then. Um but yeah, he you know, I mean I c I can't think off the top of my head of some, you know, some particular ones that really stand out. I think they just Yeah, every every occasion he was on the mic you knew whether you were booing him, cheering him, anything, you were gonna love what he was going to say. So number three for me is I know he's on a lot of um probably if, 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 if other people do the best talkers list, he will be on there as well. Cause I really don't think you can ignore this guy's talent. And for so many years, again, a bit like the rock, I suppose, as soon as he got a microphone in his hands, you knew something special was, was going to happen. And that is Ric Flair. Get ready. Woo! We are a tour and we're doing it better than anybody else alive. Now, buddy Landell, it's so hard for me to sit back here in this studio looking at a guy out here hollering my name when last year I spent more money on spilt liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex-wearing, diamond ring-wearing, kiss-stealing, wheel-a-dealing, limousine-riding, jet-flying, Son of again! And I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! at times I think towards the end or towards the, the you know later end of his career that I was watching he his promos became um more frantic, l- more nonsensical. Um it was almost like he was possessed at times, but it was just watching him. He he's one probably that I would need to watch when he was talking, as as rather than just listen to, because it was his mannerisms and it was just how he was. You know, I remember one. I can't think the exact um, time it was or whatever, but he he starts. I think it was a promo he was doing against Eric Bischoff, possibly. I know he's known for one. Um, I read about it recently in a, a book about the fall of WCW that I was that I've uh, I've gone through. Um, where it was it was as, as much of a shoot as as you can get because I know Ric Flair and Edward Bischoff did not get on so a lot of that was very real what he said but I think it was another one where a Ric Flair was in the ring with, with Mean Gene and um, you know he starts taking his clothes off and stuff because he's getting so passionate about whoever it is he's talking to and I mean, recently I've been going back since I started this podcast, really. I've been going back and, and even more back in time to to see all the, the the promos that he used to do with the classic Four Horsemen on, you know, in, in the, the Jim Crockett days in the studio, you know, when he'd have Ali and, uh, sorry, Tully and Arn and JJ Dillon around him. And he'd just be there with his belt and his suit, you know, looking like a million bucks. And. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he was just a lot smoother back then, but again, I think the 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 ones as I was growing up, the ones that I witnessed, sort of firsthand, were the, uh, the in nineteen ninety two when he was in the WWF. Obviously, his his promo after winning the Royal Rumble ninety two, I think is is way up. If if I was to do a countdown of actual promos that I. I could go back and watch time and time again. That one is at least in the top three. Um, again, it was just surreal. You kind of felt the emotion. You, even though you hated the fact that he won the Royal Rumble, you really did feel from him that it was the most important thing in his life at that point. And. And then another one I think he did, even though he wasn't part of SummerSlam 92, you know, he's still there and he's he's given an interview in the, in the back before the world title match between Randy Savage and the Ultimate Warrior. And, you know, I think he kind of taking both of the, you know, Savage and the Warriors promos and putting them up against Ric Flair's, I don't think they stood up to him at all. So even though he wasn't even on the card, he still outperformed them on the mic. And, you know, that's just the kind of star Ric Flair was, I think. You know, again, a bit like The Rocks, just that natural ability. Whenever he was on the mic, you would listen because you knew he was going to say something special. So going into my top two, this, I had to wrestle with these two in terms of who I put up there. So really, I know I've got to put them at number two and number one, but, but I think for me, these are probably both joint top. Um, but this guy who is at number two is he's the one in ring performer that if if i could be anyone or if if anyone in the ring has has had an influence on on f- characters i've created since um in the the books that i've written it would be this guy and if i could go into the ring or i could go into a film or something and be a character it would be this guy and that is jake the snake roberts But you see, Damien and I don't forget, we remember all the times you made people grovel for your money. These were people far less fortunate than you. People who could use your money for essentials. And what did you do? You made fun of them. You humbled them, and you humiliated them. Well, now it's my turn. I'm going to make you beg, DiBiase. You are going to get down on your hands and knees. This time, you'll be the one that's humbled. This time, you'll be the one that's humiliated. And this time, you will be the one that grovels for the money. And how appropriate <laughs> that the money you grovel for is your very own. A victim of your own greed. Um I think I've mentioned him a few times in the past and I think I even got to mention the you know how much I I love this guy to to his own brother. When I spoke to Sam Houston, um, Jake had something different. You know, it wasn't just it was him. You could tell it was probably him being exactly how he felt like being at that point. Whenever he's talking, but I think I'd, I've I've heard him on. I've recently watched the Dark Side of the Ring episode, the Grizzly Smith one, and hearing Jake talking about um the, the character of jake roberts was was him so all the hate everything that he felt directed towards his dad came out in that character and it's it's the coolness or i mean co- you know coolness to the point of being cold, calculating you know he's very i mean it's just sadistic even you know some of his his promos he he was slow it was deliberate he was articulate i i don't think there's many superstars out there that use the vocabulary that jake did and again i mean whether he was a heel whether he was a face you really were drawn into what he was saying and i think his his, particularly his wrestlemania 6 promo against ted dibiase is, is one of my favorites um and I mean the first one actually to be fair this goes right back to when I first started watching wrestling for myself back to Survivor Series 88 I don't know if it was on the main sort of pay-per-view recording but certainly on the UK VHS release Sean Mooney I think it was did a uh, an interview with Jake after his match after he was choked out by Andre the Giant and again he was so real in that but so cool how he was saying stuff and it was just so threatening um but you really felt you know even though he's he's been choked up by Andre the Giant he wants to go after you know the biggest literally the biggest star they had and you know he didn't seem scared or anything there was no fear you know in fact he evoked fear just really by what he was saying how he was saying it but, uh, no, yeah, those two I mean that that survivor series eighty eight one is probably one of the reasons why i I carried on watching that videotape because it took me a few tries to get through the first match, I really didn't know if I was gonna like it, and that I think I broke through the first match and then come that point after Jake's match, and they were talking to him i i I then didn't stop um, I think secretly i I wanted more like that and it wasn't till later on that i got to uh got to to hear a lot more of Jake's work in that respect um i saw him when he came back into w w f in ninety six He still had that kind of manner about him when he spoke, but he didn't seem to have because he'd gone through this um sort of rebirth i suppose during that time after you know battling his own demons that sort of, that time round anyway he, it, I don't know. He didn't seem to have the edge that he had back in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, but yeah, you know, Jake Roberts, you know, is in ring wise one of no, actually, you know, the greatest talker. You know, he's a guy I absolutely love. In the, as much as I love Bret Hart, I think Jake Roberts is probably um, you know in the ring just as strong as he was on the mic. Um, He's so solid, and again, so threatening, so dangerous. I suppose um, in what he did, and he was yeah just just as good um, to to sort of watch him as as sort of listening to him. But I always looked forward to to hearing what he had to say because and look, looking back to some of his stuff, I think for, was from um, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, possibly um, when he was in the original Legion of Doom with the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering and that. It was there. It's the same. You could, even back then, it wasn't a character that he, 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 he probably honed it, sharpened it up. But he had it back then, and it was just as good. So then we get to number one. Now, maybe a surprise to some of you, I don't know. You want to talk about the final chapter? I'll be glad to talk about the final chapter. The final chapter in the life and history and the career of Hulk Hogan. See, because it's over, Hogan i know it you know it everybody knows it You had three good years you can't laugh at that you were lucky you made some money you got a cartoon you got some dolls you rode good you had it good but you know you can't beat this man toughest man in the world nobody can beat this man you think with all that blonde hair and a bunch of little hulksters out there and behind you you ripping that t-shirt off and shaking in your pythons you think you can beat him dummy it can't be done by you 10 guys like you or 100 people like you this is the next heavyweight champion of the world get ready to swallow it hogan it's all over any wrestling fan worth his salt out there um has got to agree that bobby the brain heenan again going back to the the the, the top of this show when i said my reasons for this like i used to I used to sit there and I used to have wrestling on in the background regardless of what I was doing if I wasn't watching it I was doing something else but I was listening to it Bobby Heenan would be one of the guys who would be almost like the voice of my childhood really because I mean he was on the commentary teams um, through sort of late 91 um, all the way up to when he left at the end of 93 Um, you know they were the Sort of seminal years for me in wrestling, and and I I didn't it didn't feel right when I was watching or listening to a match that he wasn't commentating on. Um, it it's not just sort of the commentary. I mean, going back, hearing his how he used to make his guys stronger. Whoever he was managing, whether they were good on the mic themselves or not, they benefited. You know, tenfold from having Bobby Heenan as their manager. I think about the guys he had: Rick Rude, um, Mr. Perfect. Um, obviously, when he was involved with sort of Ric Flair, these are guys that didn't really need a a mouthpiece. I mean, even Arn Anderson. Um, I love listening to Arn Anderson, but you know, they they didn't necessarily need him to be their mouthpiece, but they were stronger for it. And then you got other guys that he had. So you know, people like so Big John Studd, King Kong Bundy. Um, for a little time, Brooklyn Brawler, Red Rooster, probably guys that weren't strong on the mic as they were in the ring, um, but he could he could make them sound again like a, a a million dollars because of how his talent for 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 just talking them up, um, and uh, he was the perfect one he would never make it as a, a babyface manager, in my opinion, because he was the perfect one, he always seemed to believe everything he said was re- was right, regardless of how many people would, would turn around and say, no, you're wrong you know, you're daft, What well, you're going to beat Hulk Hogan, no way, Hulk Hogan's going to lose his back nah, you know, you're going to beat Randy Savage, no you, you didn't believe it would happen, a lot of time. it didn't, really but he believed it and he would convince you that he believed it which is such a talent and you can't you can't say there's in my opinion any better combination commentary combination than him and Gorilla Monsoon you know they were absolutely pure magic and i don't believe that hardly any of that was scripted you know that was natural they bounced off each other like i was list- like i've said about the more recent stuff even 2008 up to today that i've heard it just seems like they've got Lines being fed to them, or they've got lines on paper that they need to reference, and they're waiting. There's such, there's just there's such awkward silences, really, and the 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 fans aren't as audible either. Um, and I think if you haven't got someone that that chemistry between the two guys who are meant to be calling the match to fill in those gaps, yeah, it's just falls flat, and. I don't think there was ever a flat match. You know, I could listen to that those two were calling, but even when Heenan was working with, say, Vince McMahon or Jim Ross or even Randy Savage, you know, he he would li- he was so funny. Um, again, a bit like Jake Roberts, really. The vocabulary he uses was was brilliant. Um, he would find any words possible to put a guy over, just because just to 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 live up to being that heel you know being so blatantly and he would he would keep his insistence that he was a broadcast journalist and he was um impartial and that I mean it just made it even more hilarious because he was so not that you know and, and I never I referenced it in the the Royal Rumble episode the perfect Royal Rumble episode that I did a little while back I think what made royal Rumble 92 even better was that Bobby Heenan was doing the commentary and his commentary during that Royal Rumble the fact that he was so invested in Ric Flair and his desperation come through right? it's, it's, yeah, I yeah, I smart just thinking about it really it's one of those, those memories and looking back at how much like I said at the, at the top how much wrestling I listened to rather than watching when I was growing up past a certain point Bobby Heenan is got to be the one who um, who, who made it the most memorable um, you know if there was a DVD out there just made up of, of him talking or, or clips of his um, his promos his commentary I'd, I'd sit here and watch it you know I'd, I'd time and time again I think the guy was a genius and you know him and Jake Roberts like I say was, it was a tough one um but i think what sealed it for me putting bobby at the top is the fact that when we're talking about best talkers you know jake had it and he was building up a story with someone that he would then back up in the ring bobby heenan didn't he wasn't getting in the ring most of the time to settle these scores he was he was using his voice to tell the story and he had to he had to play his part just in in that Limited capacity, whereas the others could go out and they could they could carry that story on physically, and yeah I, I I don't think there's a, there's a commentator out there who, who was any better than him, and he he bounced off everyone he worked with, I I even think you know when he went to WCW he was a little bit more muted he he did come through. Towards the end as being that kind of impartial, I wouldn't say babyface commentator but he was there and he wasn't really as his critical of of the good guys as he used to be and he was still the strongest man on that team. It just wasn't the Bobby Heenan that we that we grew up with. Um but yeah, such a legend. And uh, you know, if I if I if I do a tribute episode to him one day, I mean, you know, I could probably I could I could fill a sort of two hour episode with talking about him, I'm sure. But yeah, no, Bobby Heenan for me is during my time and my memories as a wrestling fan is is definitely up there so you know Bobby thank you for the memories you know they still live on and um I don't think they'll be forgotten there won't be anyone the the the, the list of five that I've given I don't think there's anyone today who will surpass them there's others as well I think I could have had on the list that that um, will still be better than a lot of the guys around today but when you consider as well the guys you know it's a lot different now they're they're having a lot more written for them it is a lot more scripted it's not as natural it's not as organic as it used to be but I dare say that a lot of them are still taking inspiration much like myself from the guys from that era so Ric Flair Bobby Heenan, Jake Roberts um, and you know The Rock Um, yeah you know their their influence on the sport goes beyond what was done on camera in the ring um i think if you a bit like me if you if you are one to sort of zone out and sort of have wrestling on in the background and if you just want to sort of you know forget about the world and, and sort of close your eyes and, and listen to it you, you can't beat guys like that so yeah that's mine feel free to um you know to contact me and and you know let me know yours I'd like to hear who, who everyone else's uh you know favorite talkers are or are you one that 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 goes more for you know what they what they do in the ring you know um is talking as as, as bigger part of the the industry nowadays I would say definitely not um so you can't really compare the two in that sense but you know that's just me so thank you very much for um for tuning in um I am one reason why I wanted to do another reason why I wanted to do this episode really now is is because I am going to be winding down for the summer. Um, I am going to be taking a bit of a summer break. Hopefully, come back all refreshed, ready to. Um, I'm, I'm planning it'll be a couple more episodes yet, so um, I've got a very very special one to come after this one. So stay tuned for next week um, for that one, but that that will probably be be the last one whilst i take a, a bit of a summer break and i'm ready to come back to um to commemorate and celebrate the one year anniversary i'm planning to be back in august um for um yeah to, to celebrate the one year um of this podcast um something that i i wasn't sure that i i would get to really i didn't really know how far i was going to come with this but i'm i'm amazed at you know, what I've been able to, to do with it and, and the support and the feedback I've had. So so yeah, during the during the um the break, I mean if you're tuning in, this is your first episode, you know, thirty odd other episodes out there for you to listen to while I'm gone and um and then sort of I'll be back. But yeah, do check out next week. Um follow me on Instagram at once upon the turnbuckle and also on Facebook at uh, at once upon the turnbuckle. So my pages there I'll be sharing um news of, of what's to come in that um, sort of finale episode. So um, I shall catch you then Thank you for listening to a nerd to know media production.